Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 82 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we address the question, what kind of return on investment will we get from implementing a new or replacement learning management system? It's a question we help organizations wrestle with all the time, but before we get to discussing it, we want to thank CASEL, our sponsor for the second quarter of 2017. CASEL is an accomplished full services certification and licensure testing company that also offers its clients a variety of learning solutions capabilities. With an expert team of testing and instructional design professionals and a 30-year history of excellence in its field, CASEL understands what it takes to develop and deliver quality learning and certification programs. To to find out more about CASEL's custom learning solutions, go to leadinglearning.com slash CASEL. We also want to note that we are going to be running a new version of our Learning Platform Selection Bootcamp soon. So if you're planning to launch a selection process for a learning management system or other learning platform, this may be the perfect solution for preparing your team for a successful process. In the bootcamp, well, it's basically designed to help you understand the most important emerging learning technology trends to put together the right team for participating in a selection process, to clarify and document your objectives and requirements to identify the learning technology options best suited to meet your organization's goals, and then to confidently lead a selection process that ensures long-term success. Basically, what we're doing here is teaching you what we have done for years in running successful technology selection engagements. So if that sounds like something that aligns with your organization's needs, just go to tagoras.com slash select. That's T-A-G-O-R-A-S dot com slash S-E-L-E-C-T, tagoras.com slash select. And we'll note that currently the boot camp is open only to employees of trade and professional associations and association management companies. That may change in the future, but as of this podcast, that's the case. And for this episode resource, we want to highlight our collection of resources that can help you with selecting a learning management system or other learning platform. We've put together a a range of resources that you can access from a a single web page. And this page includes links to the list of platform vendors that we track. And I'll note too that we're in the process of creating updated profiles for those vendors. The page also contains links to an overview of our seven-step selection process to information about LMS pricing and integration and a wealth of other resources. And best of all, these are all free, so you can find them at 
tagoras.com slash LMS. And we'll add that, again, these are geared toward trade and professional associations, but we also think that these resources will be valuable to any learning and education business. So now for our big question for this episode, what kind of return on investment will we get from implementing a new or replacement learning management system? And we usually don't get this techie, I guess, in our episodes, but this just seems to be a a burning uh, question for, for many learning and education businesses. And it's certainly an area in which we have some experience. And, you know, we find that sometimes organizations get bogged down with answering the question and, and spend way too much time, and in, in some cases money, searching for a very precise answer to this question about you know, implementing a learning management system. And of course, analysis paralysis sets in. And then other times, you know, unfortunately, we discover that the question hasn't been asked at all. There's, no really, there's not really any consideration of return on investment from putting the learning management system in place before the organization goes out and proceeds with licensing and implementing an expensive solution. And so in our experience, sanity, as very often is the case, lies somewhere in between these two extremes. And and so what we want to offer in this episode are five factors to consider and to try to answer, at least within reason, before you sign on the dotted line for a learning management system. So the first of those five factors is new revenue generation. So how directly will the LMS support the creation and delivery of new products or enhance the revenue potential of existing products. And you know, if you're putting an LMS in for the, the first time, you know, at a minimum, that LMS should enable you to increase the reach of your educational offerings. And that means both in terms of quantity and depth. So what I mean by that is that you should be able to connect with more learners. So that's the quantity. And then for the learners you already serve, you should be able to engage them with additional options. So that's the depth. And it's impossible to know the exact revenues associated with this increased reach, but you still should be able to make some educated guesses. What, for example, if there was an online version of one of your most popular face-to-face offerings, you know, surely you'd be able to reach at least 5%, say, of that potential audience that you're not currently reaching. And, and 5% is somewhat arbitrary, but we also know from research that we've done that that's usually the bottom end of, of penetration with a new uh, online education offering. So you know, 5% is, is a good sort of stake in the ground, and, and surely you can reach that many and use that as a, as a base for calculating your potential revenue. So, you know, for those who are frequently attending your offerings, whether online or off, you know, what spinoffs or related offerings could you create from your most popular offerings? And and again, surely you can reach a percentage of that audience with new offerings. And I'll note that what, you know, Jeff was just uh, advocating, what we're advocating in general is working with your most popular current content. And we know that organizations often shy away from this approach. They think that they need Uh, to reach new audiences with new products, but that's actually one of the very hardest ways to expand a business. Um, We also sometimes hear from organizations that that they're afraid that they're going to cannibalize their current face-to-face offerings if they offer online versions. And we just wanted to note that we've never seen this happen, and in fact, almost always the opposite happens. We're having that added online offering that complements the face-to-face actually uh, produces a, a, a net gain overall. Now, some of the key benefits of working with current popular offerings are, number one, you have a reasonable idea of the untapped audience. Uh, Second, you have an existing pricing approach, and you can leverage that. 
And then third, you usually have a good idea of what is driving demand. And so that allows um, you to be much uh, clearer and articulate about how to position and promote the new offerings. And so with this information in hand, making some of those conservative, educated guesses about potential revenue shouldn't be all that hard, you know, so you can fire up an Excel spreadsheet, run the numbers, you know, for the next three years. And so that's the first factor, you know, new revenue generation. And again, you know, if you know something about your current products and something about your current audience for those products, you ought to be able to make some reasonable conservative guesses and run some numbers uh, to project out revenues for the next three years, as Salisa was saying. Now, the the second factor is kind of the flip side uh, of that equation, and that's cost savings. So you'd be asking here, in addition to any new revenue potential, what cost savings will putting an LMS in place make possible? And so, you know, while putting an LMS in place or switching to a new one will certainly create some cost, it should also lead to productivity increases that ultimately decrease cost. And in some cases, you know, that cost decrease may be relatively small. So, for example, in one of our recent uh, client engagements, the client calculated an annual savings of approximately $3,000 based on the reduced amount of, t- of time that staff would need to spend handling requests for processing continuing education. And that often eats up uh, a fair amount of, uh, of staff time around face-to-face events. Um, on the other hand, you know, the decrease can be quite large. So we had a- another organization that calculated an annual savings of $65,000 on reduced staff time and mailing costs related to processing and issuing certificates. And, you know, those savings alone were enough to justify implementation of an LMS, even though that organization was not projecting new revenue to materialize anytime soon. And so those examples that you're just offering there, Jeff, you know, they suggest that, um, you know, an LMS is not just about courses. And that's something we want to be sure and emphasize here. You know, it's also about managing learning. And that generally includes credits and certificates. And, And then at a higher level, an LMS is also about operational efficiency. And operational efficiency pretty much always produces cost savings. So, You want to take a hard look at where your costs, particularly your labor costs, are with respect to the delivery and management of education. You want to determine the efficiencies an LMS could help create. And then you want to make some conservative estimates of the associated dollar figures that that go along with those savings. So those are the first two, the the revenue potential um, and then cost savings. And then the third factor to consider is basically general value perception. So if we implement a a first or a replacement LMS, to what extent will this increase our current members' perception of the value that we provide as an organization? To what extent might it help us attract new members? To what extent may it elevate our overall brand as an important contributor to our field or industry? So to get at answers to those questions, you usually need to ask some other questions first. So for example, how much use are your members or potential members currently making of e-learning? And where are they going for that e-learning? Are they getting enough of the right types of e-learning? Are there segments that are being significantly underserved? This is data that can actually be gathered um, 
pretty easily through some properly crafted survey questions, although in our experience, it's often not the type of, of data that's being gathered by organizations. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I mean, if it's clear that key parts of your audience are making significant use of e-learning from sources other than your organization, which is something you can find out by surveying, then you have a clear opportunity for elevating value perception by providing new options that align with learner needs. And then additionally, you know, using the LMS to deliver educational content and support of critical strategic initiatives can also significantly elevate value perception. So if, for example, your organization has determined it must you know, better support the pipeline of future workers into your industry, which is obviously a very common goal these days, then the delivery of online education to support, say, a certification or an assessment-based certificate or a series of digital badges may be a very powerful tactic. And I'll offer a note of caution here. Um, Many organizations will will come to us and say, you know, we need to implement an LMS and we need to start delivering online education. And when you ask why, it's it's just so that they can be perceived as keeping up with the times. Mm. And, uh, you know, if that's the main driver for implementing an LMS, we say don't do it or don't do it yet. You know, you really need to revisit these, these points that we've just talked about and put some work into figuring out the more tangible types of return. So now the, the fourth factor um, is user experience. So how will implementing an LMS improve the overall experience that learners have with our educational offerings? How will it help our offerings be more impactful? And how will we know? Um, so these questions, this fourth area of user experience, is really closely related to the, the value perception questions that we were talking about immediately before this, but we think that user experience deserves to be considered on its own. Um, you know, so if you are seeking to provide a better user experience, the first thing is you've got to make sure that you know where you're starting from. Don't just rely on opinion and anecdotes, um, although there are likely to be plenty of those flying around. Instead, we recommend that you make use of services like usertesting.com and Usability Hub, and so you can actually test and gather data about the experience you're currently providing. And then that'll allow you to know your starting point, and once you know that, then you can craft the most compelling vision possible for where and how much you can realistically improve on the current experience. And you're going to also know where improvement is most needed, and that's going to help ensure that you ultimately invest in the right features and and functionalities to improve that user experience. And of course, you know, you, you raised the question of how will we know, Salisa. Um, and, and so this is an area you're going to want to return to. If you clearly establish a benchmark through testing up front, then you'll be able to repeat testing over time to see how you are performing against the benchmark. And you know, that's a, a novel idea, I know, but one that can clearly establish whether or not an LMS is producing the desired return. And of course, this is all about return on investment here that, w- that we're talking about. So we've talked about new revenue generation. We've talked about cost savings. We've talked about uh, general value perception. We just talked about user experience. We promised five factors. And the fifth one is fulfillment of mission and vision. So the question here is going to be, how will implementing a new or replacement LMS contribute to fulfilling the mission and vision of the organization? And you know, while this may seem like a difficult question to answer in a measurable way, definitely don't ignore it. It speaks directly to, for example, the responsibility of board members, uh, who are often the people who are going to have to approve the budget for an initial or replacement learning management system. 
Now, generally speaking, you know, to the extent that you are elevating value perception, improving user experience, and supporting a financially sustainable approach to delivering education, you know, which is what we've covered really in the, in the first four factors, then you are, in fact, helping to fulfill mission and vision. So you're already well on your way with the points that we've already talked about. And, and these are, of course, as we've already pointed out, measurable points. Now, keep in mind that you know, when it comes to mission and vision, reach and impact are, are usually critical. And those are you know, two factors we talk a lot about here, reach and impact, along with revenue. So if an LMS enables you to reach many more people across your field or industry with useful learning experiences, you know, even ones that you're not charging for, that would contribute to mission and vision for really pretty much any organization I've ever encountered. And, and of course, reach can always be measured. If you're reaching more people, you're going to know that from the data that you're going to get from a learning management system. And if you're able to show that you're having an impact with the learning experiences that you deliver through the LMS, that is that you're actually changing the field for the better by, by elevating knowledge and skills and behaviors, then you qualify in our books as a learning leader, and we think someone better be processing your promotion papers. Um, all that said, though, an LMS alone is not going to achieve this. You know, any learning management system is ultimately only as good as the learning experiences that it supports, and those experiences got to be expertly designed and, and facilitated. But Capturing the data that shows impact, um, particularly through thoughtful assessment strategies, that should be a, a strength of any well-designed LMS. And, and so you just need to know what kind of data is going to demonstrate impact that, that aligns with your mission and vision and then set up to track that. And so those are the, the five factors. Um, go through those again. Uh, new revenue, uh, cost savings, general value, perception, uh, improved user experience, and then supporting the mission and vision. But, you know, put those all together and, you know, to, to pursue all of those, really, it all comes back to strategy. So, you know, knowing what kind of data will demonstrate impact that aligns with mission and vision is, of course, a direct outcome of having a solid strategy for your learning and education business and knowing things like your cost structure, your revenue structure, what you want the value perception to be, what you want that user experience to be. All of that needs to align with strategy. So when it comes right down to it, getting the highest possible return off of implementing an LMS starts with knowing the strategy that the LMS supports. And, and that's why we always start with clarifying strategic objectives in our seven-step LMS selection process. Because if you have your objectives solidly in place, um, then the five points that we just talked about are, are going to flow naturally. And you're going to be on the road to getting a, a really high return off of your LMS investment. So there you have it. Just uh, put those those five factors uh, to work right away. Make sure they're, they're lined up with your strategy. And Really, truly, you should be in a good position to get a very strong and a, a measurable return off of implementing, whether it's your first learning management system or whether it's a replacement learning management system. But uh, certainly, you know, above everything else, think of this stuff up front before you go out and, and start, you know, vetting systems, getting worried about, you know, the technologies and the features and the functions and which vendors. You need this stuff in place first. And then that clarifies everything else immensely. It makes the whole process just a, a lot easier and ultimately a lot more effective. So that's our take on return on investment for a learning management system, or ROI on LMS for short. 
as we're exiting this episode of the podcast, which we are in fact doing now, um, we want to say thanks to Castle again. Castle, as you might remember from the beginning of this episode, is a full service certification and licensure testing company that also offers its clients a variety of learning solutions capabilities. And you can find out more about Castle's custom learning solutions at leadinglearning.com slash Castle. And we also wanted to mention again that we are opening up enrollment for a new version of the Learning Platform Selection Bootcamp. So if you are looking to go out and select uh, an LMS or another learning platform on which you are hoping to get a very high return on investment, this is the program for you. Uh, It basically teaches you what we do in our consulting engagements, uh, which you have to pay a whole lot more for than you have to pay for this bootcamp. So definitely go find out more about that at Tagore slash select. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 82. There you'll see a variety of ways to subscribe to the podcast. And if you're getting some value out of the podcast, some ROI on your time investment, we would be grateful if you would subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you would give us a rating on iTunes. And we say that in, in, in every episode, but uh, we, we really do mean it. We know we have thousands of people listening to the podcast, but you know, compare that to the number of people who have done ratings and reviews. Well, that group that's done ratings and reviews is, is small, and it is an elite crowd. And we think it's a crowd that you should join. So get on over to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really appreciate it because it lets us know that you are, in fact, getting value out of the podcast and want to see it continue. It also helps in the massive, mighty iTunes search engine if somebody is looking for good information about the learning business, the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development. They are much more likely to find it if you, dear listener, have left a rating and a review. We hope you'll also tell others about the podcast. You can send out a pre-populated tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing or you want to use your own words, spread the word however you'd like. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. <laughs>